This is the Bushwick Variety Show, and I'm Alex Stevens III. Greetings, neighbors, friends, citizens of the world, and conscious beings of all various types. Thank you so much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. Hope your January was good. Hope you uh, got those resolutions and tensions kicking off the year right. Hope February's treating you well so far. This episode features a friend of mine, Clara Francesca. We did a show together a couple months back, met, and planned to get together and sit down and have this conversation that I share with you here. And so we did that last week. We talked about her play, her one-woman play, Manifesting Mrs. Marks, which I have not had the chance to see yet, but uh, it's very fascinating. Deals with Karl Marx's wife, who was instrumental in a lot of his philosophy and just instrumental, influential on his life. Um, And then it's a play on words manifesting. And she'll talk all about that and the many other wonderful things that she does. She's also a speech coach for business leaders and lawyers and people who want to work on their on their speech. I have a lot of great episodes coming up that I've held for a little while because trying to get the timing with them and some things coming up related to those episodes. So this was just a great conversation with an artist friend who I admire and respect and we had a pretty in-depth long conversation kind of went in a lot of different directions. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope you get inspired by it. And I hope you enjoy getting to meet and know my friend, Clara Francesca. Let's have a conversation. It's not live, but we are going live right now. (laughs) Okay, cool. Um, So this is live. Cool. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm excited Um, to be live with you, Alex. Very excited. Yeah. Um, So, Clara... Yes, Clara. 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 And that's Australian. I'm Italian Australian. Yes. And today we're celebrating Invasion Day of Australia. Did you know this? Is that does that have to do with the Aboriginals or okay? Yeah, so it's it's Australia Day officially today, but most of us who are trying to be a little bit more conscious are calling it Invasion Day because it's literally the day that England invaded Aboriginal people. I respect that reframing very much. Um, yeah. Kind of the same way here. Uh, people have taken to um, taking back Columbus Day and calling it Indigenous People's Day. Uh, yeah. 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 I mean, I think I'm, I'm not fully aware of the whole discussion, but from what I've read on news articles and listened on radio, it seems to be a lot of indigenous elders, which are the, the name we give to the respected elder members of, of various tribes, seem to be okay with celebrating an Australia Day, but not on the day that they were mass murdered. And mm-hmm. so I think that's pretty... I think it makes sense to me. It makes massive sense, I think, to everyone. But I also think it's really generous that the conversation that people are trying to have who are from this elk of saying it's now Invasion Day... The conversation seems to be from the original land lo- landowners to say, yeah, let's celebrate a day of the nation, even though it's all a bit shit, but not on the day that mm-hmm. this horrible thing happened. Yeah. Um, at least I'm sure everyone has diverse opinions about that, but that seems to be one of the conversations. So I think it's strange to me that there's so much resistance from the other side to not change the date when the conversation is we can still celebrate it, but choose a day that's a little bit more chill yeah um the, i mean the the this 
these things are happening, I think, all over the world, like a reframing yeah. of everything. Um, and like another one, Laura, she's from Amsterdam. Yeah. Do you know about their Christmas celebration oh, there? Oh, God. Oh, yes. Oh, God, yes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and so that <laughs> conversation is happening quite a bit. And some of her family, it depends. Like it's generational, yeah. um, but some of her family doesn't understand mm. <laughs> and uh it's funny because her immediate family um now partially but not just because of me like her immediate family is very uh diverse and very international mm-hmm. so one of her sisters is married to a moroccan man um and another is married to a chinese dutch man um so he was born and ra- or he was raised in in amsterdam um but i think he was adopted from Indonesia. Um, but yeah, so he's Chinese Dutch yeah, yeah, and, and then I'm African American. And so it's, yeah, not only diverse, but international in her immediate family. And yeah, one of those things, <laughs> like I'm not going to get, I'm at a point where if certain people are kind of dug in on their positions, sure. If they choose to talk to me about it or if they talk about it, like if it comes up, I'm not going to shy away from it, but I'm not going to go after. I'm not going to start a fight, basically. Um, However, (laughs) I will make it very clear that we don't even really have plans to have children. But if we did, we are not doing that. We're not participating (laughs) in that part of the tradition. Um, do your listeners know what that tradition is? So the black peats, mm-hmm. they, they might, um, it's come up probably before, but yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. It's, pretty, um, it's, it's time to grow up. I think a little mm-hmm. bit from the white privilege perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, I don't know. You catch me in a time when I've been really looking into a lot of this with the plays that I mentioned earlier that I was seeing and the work I'm doing and the groups that I seem to be connected with, which is wonderful. But last night I was catching up with a friend and he put it in a very simple perspective. It's like, you don't go around to Germany and see statues of Hitler. Yeah. Why are we having these big statues of Columbus in the middle of Columbus Circle? And I think putting it with that framing is a very clear, like, yeah, duh. The I think the other complicated answer to that is because history is told by the winners. Yeah. And because Hitler ultimately lost. Yeah. Thank goodness um yeah but since since they lost um that's part of that reason because one thing that's happening here right now in the states is this embracing and hard like right direction we seem to Mm. be going in this has been happening in education for a while but now it's getting really crazy where uh slavery is being erased from a lot of textbooks. Um, What happened with indigenous peoples here is happening, not just from textbooks. There's something going on with the national archives in Washington state. I just, I didn't even, I haven't read all up on this. That's my mom's area of of, uh, expertise, Mm. but uh, they're closing down the national archives. You're kidding. No. And so what that means, there's like a lot of stuff about like the treaties and stuff like that. Like where, if you just shut it down, is that the same as just like burning books, like erasing yeah. history? So Yeah, they work um, very hard to open it. Yeah, so this is happening 
really fast here. And how is that not on the front page? I had no idea that was happening. I feel stupid and ignorant, and I also want to like that's not okay because there's just so much happening right yeah. now. And and this is now we see this is how. <laughs> Unfortunately, this is how it happens when when we look at atrocities and we look at yeah. turning points in history. How did that happen? Yeah, this is how it happens. Um, so, <laughs> I think that's a good segue into. So, what do we do as artists, and yeah. what are you working on? Um, yeah, I had the great pleasure of meeting you on an interesting production, um, and. Yeah, like I, I last year was my year of yes, um, and I'm yeah super happy with everybody I got to meet, and I'm glad we finally got to sit down. Yeah, and you told me about some of the work you've done, and yeah, yeah. so let's get into that. Yeah, let's get into that. So I have been touring a solo show for a while called Manifesting Mrs. Marx, which on a surface is a non biographical biographical narrative of Jenny Marx, Karl Marx's wife, who was fundamental not only in aiding Karl Marx to have the funds to do the work he wanted to do, if it weren't for her dowry, he never would have made it, but also really instrumental in a lot of the ideas. The two of them were taught by her dad. Her dad was a Prussian authority member and a very sort of high-paid official but was massively interested in understanding socialism and really promoting a wellness class for everyone. And through those teachings, Karl Marx really got the ideas of analyzing capital the way he did. And Jenny, his wife, kind of edited half the work with him and Friedrich Engels. So that's the historical element of it. But the play itself, <laughs> are we allowed to swear on this? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> is uh, essentially asking the question, why are we such shits to each other? And, and I guess going back to the theme we were talking about before, the the winners framing the narrative. So I got interested in this subject matter because I played Jenny Marx and their youngest daughter, Tussie Marx, the youngest surviving daughter, in a very straight, linear narrative production in Australia blah, nine years ago, I think, maybe seven, I can't remember. And all the biographers described Jenny Marx as this sort of stupid, gregarious, silly wife to Carl. And I was like, mm. that doesn't make any sense. How does the man who I think actually analyzed capital in a really wonderful way he was known to be bombastic and had a lot of narcissistic qualities, but really was advocating for countries to have social welfare programs at the core whilst you grow the market and the capital. I think you would be very ashamed about what's happened in China with the word communism, as well as uh, what happened in South America with communism. He'd also, I think, be very upset with what America's doing with capital. Like, I think his argument was there is a, a socialist capital system that can function or capital social system that can function. You can still have people having free choice. The problem is when you press mass amounts of people and don't allow them access to education, access to welfare, access to choice. Anyway. Yeah, it's not really a free market. Like, no, exactly. That's like the thing. Like, <laughs> um, I, I was just talking about that last night. Like The argument capitalists in the U.S. say over and over again is, well, where has... Where has socialism worked and then you talk about like different european nations and they're like well that doesn't count and then you talk about because <laughs> like a lot of times they bring up cuba and it's like well cuba has problems but they also have like education and they have better healthcare system than mm. us and, or i don't know if better is the right word but people don't have to, to yeah better yeah, access definitely. to it like 
Yeah, I mean, Australia is essentially a socialist capital country. I mean, we have our own problems and we get into that as well if you want. But I think fundamentally the access that the general middle class and the lower class have to free well, free or affordable access to medical health is fantastic on some level. It's changing, especially as the rise of the sort of hyper-conservatives have sort of come into power. I think globally it's becoming a problem. But... Yeah, it definitely works and, and it can work. The truth is if people in charge are just interested in their individual bottom line, you don't have people implementing these changes. Mm-hmm. And that's insane to me that someone's – I watched this documentary on Vox Explains Everything. They have everything like, you know, Vox Explains Orgasms, Vox Explains Clickbait, Vox Explains blah, blah. And one of them was Vox Explains Billionaires and they had all these billionaires essentially saying – Oh, yeah. I, I love my life. And I'm like, hmm, great. Yeah, yeah. Good on you, of course. You know, right. like you should enjoy the pleasures of life, but not at the expense of other people. And mm-hmm. it's assuming that the billionaires are altruistic. And a lot of them are not. Like, a lot of them are, but a lot of them are not. Anyway, um, so that's what the show was looking at from a from a scholarly perspective. But from an emotional narrative perspective, it really was going back to the conversation we had before about how the winners frame the narrative. And so many biographers up until very recently, about 30 years ago, described Jenny's a stupid woman. And that just doesn't add up that a man that was so interested in the well-being of humans was married to someone stupid. And she's not. When you dig deeper, you see that she edited a bunch of his work. You see that they were writing letters to each other for seven years where she was proposing socialist concepts to him and he would debate her back like essentially there were colleagues in a workshopping writing room for years before they finally married and then and and i guess that's the patriarchy and the construct of that sort of problem that it promotes not that every person who's ever done something amazing has to be highlighted per se but it does go to my question of why why did we treat her so badly in the biographies why do we choose to ignore someone's diversity and, and even the fact that you said before right like you're not going to go out of your way to have a fight with someone who might not understand that perspective but you're open if they bring it up to really navigate with that with them i think that's fucking brave and fucking wonderful and fucking generous because if we don't talk to each other we're not going to get better and we're going to stay in our little silos that said i think you know someone isn't responsible for educating another person unless they're being paid to do it like i get that but i do think that a lot of the problems we navigate is because someone's just not comfortable being uncomfortable and navigating a conversation with someone else. I mean, let's be fair, most of that is white people, and a lot of that is white men, a lot of that is men over 60, but, but it's, you know, you can find it in any walk in life. And so that's what the play is essentially asking. Why did we, it's using Jenny Marks as an excuse to sort of look through this narrative of why did we treat people like shit? And why are we so obsessed about controlling one another? <laughs> I teach public speech coaching outside of acting and often clients come to me and they want to build their confidence. And I will say, look, I can't teach you to be confident. Confidence is a feeling. It's none of my right to tell you how to feel. I can't control how you feel. I make the tongue-in-cheek joke by saying we tried to control people how to feel and it just ended up in colonizing and wars. So we probably should stop that. But I can teach you how to commit to safe activities that the more you do those safe activities and just try it on for size you might feel confident you'll definitely look confident and in that doing of the thing you might get the feeling that you want but that is to compare that to the play that I've been working on to say we do seem to want to often control people's feelings and that's kind of nutso mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, so when did you start that project and uh, like, where do you want to go with it from here? Or do you want to do yeah. like kind of where yeah. are you feeling? We're 2020. We're at the start of the new year. Yeah. So Manifesting Miss Max had an incredible success at Edinburgh Fringe from a grassroots perspective I got really great reviews I got to meet my dream director called Guy Masterson and he and I are working on a bunch of stuff together which is wonderful we reworkshopped the script and we took it to Kansas City and there philosophers neuroscientists engineers like a bunch of people who I didn't think would be interested in this kind of play really resonated with it which was awesome it was a lot of bluehead audience members as well which was awesome to have them really respond to this kind of piece and talk about it and analyze it and so from here mrs marx has been invited to maybe go overseas for a couple of festivals maybe tokyo there's an invitation to go back to england and so now that i've reworked this piece i'm excited to just keep touring that show and at the same time i've started to workshop and work with some people doing vr virtual reality based Mm -hmm. work and the play that i created I worked with this lady called Alexis Kendra to do visual artwork in the piece as well. And so the visual artwork was an accumulation of bits of my body part at the beginning of the play. The audience isn't quite sure what they're looking at. And at the end of the play, these body parts come together and you see this whole figure of this woman who's been sort of torn apart. That's in the context of the narrative that you have this puppet that begins the play and she's being moved by puppet strings by an invisible force. The invisible force you later learn is the writer and the director of the play, this sort of ominous being that's controlling her, which is a female voice. And it touches upon the sort of feminist oppression that the patriarchy also has created as a problem, sort of women shitting on women. Within it, within oh, itself. that's everywhere. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm just remembering, like, just, mm-hmm. this is like a sidebar, but kind of... Uh, there's a guy recently, he won an anti-discrimination lawsuit and then he went to cash the check in this bank and they called the police on him because they didn't believe that. And so then he's now suing that bank for discrimination and then the bank didn't respond right away. But part of their response was, well, the teller was black, which is... As soon as I read that, I was like, oh, you guys are digging yourselves. What? Because that's, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, um, it's just like a police officer. If a police officer is a person of color and they shoot another person of color, mm. the police officer in that moment, they are part of the system. They're, mm-hmm. they're blue. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the color they are and they represent and they follow the same guidelines as yeah. everybody else. And we're all subjected to the same insidious like stereotype like you know you have to catch ourselves yeah and and then on top of that like sometimes in our quest to to rise above like to not become our own oppressor yeah yeah well that's yeah exactly you couldn't have said it i couldn't have said it better that's exactly it that's what this play is looking at so to continue with the narrative of that and where the vr fits into it as a next step for this production because you have this ominous voice that's talking to the actor on stage, which originally the show starts and it's just a puppet. She can't really do much and then she can figure out how to move and then she figures out how to see people and she sees the audience and it's a little interactive but not scary. I recommend everyone come see the play when it continues to grow. And then she finally finds her voice. But to the end of the play, finally Jenny Marks, this character, this thing that's been created, can speak and with agency. 
and the writer director this ominous as you said the sort of self-sabotager not becoming your own oppressor doesn't like this and she kills her but in the killing of her we have these images that in the past we've been projecting that creates this full body of this woman so finally she's come to her own but if there's something that's controlling it can rip that apart and i'm i guess proposing that that's not a nice way to live and we should stop doing that and I mean, it's very complicated and it's going to, maybe it'll never be really navigated completely. But I think a simple thing in the fixing of this is to really connect with one another and, and not be afraid of the discomfort or looking at your inner self and the problems you've brought to the situation, but also being safe to take in other people's information with that. So with the VR, virtual reality programs that I've been dabbling in, there are these really cool programs where you can, you can kind of create the 360 experience and make the whole audience feel like they are one in the whole. So I kind of want to take this narrative that I've created in this play to another extreme. And in this moment where this character gets killed, what happens if I can create a virtual reality experience where the audience feels engulfed by one another in that moment? Anyway. Hmm. That sounds exciting. <laughs> I'm excited by it. I think I'm a bit nuts. But yeah, I'm excited by it. So that's one project. The other projects are some really great Stories about native Australian birds and imported Australian, now Australian birds, and the inner voices that these creatures have. And again, looking at VR to sort of create this soundscape and and immerse the audience in a room that is is uh, natural, not natural, whatever I want to say, is in nature, essentially. Because especially living in New York City or any sort of high busy city, sometimes we forget to ground. And it's not the same as going outside and putting your feet on the ground. But to create that space in a theater as a sort of meditative contemplation state where you can analyze self in a safe space with others looking at you. So that's the next VR potential project. <laughs> I'm thinking, because um, we were talking about different plays before this started. Yeah. If you get a chance, check the conversationalists. Mm -hmm. Just because um, the structure of it was so unique. If it's, I, I don't know if it, I don't know if it's still, I think it's going one more week. Yeah. Uh, but I think you'd dig it. Cool. Just because even when it started, I was like, am I going to be able to do like am I, you know when you see something and you're like am I gonna be able to go on this journey mm. like am I gonna connect to it and then you and do. then you do you know you cool. get caught in the magic yeah 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 um cool and so those are projects you're developing yeah and then how do you like are you also auditioning like how do you kind of approach yeah acting and what yeah how do I approach acting? Excellent question. I should. And I guess not like how do you get into a role, but like how do you approach mm. the the business, I guess. Yeah, I've been trying to do more time for myself to promote myself in the business of acting. And that has been a good exercise because I can get caught up in the mood of things and get carried away just doing other things to support the business of acting so i mean this week i had nine auditions which was wonderful self-submitting with an agent for some other stuff through networks of other stuff i was invited to do projects with a really wonderful playwright friend of mine so i guess all of it network friendships self-submission on things like backstage access access stuff like that and then i've landed an agent who I really trust and it's been really exciting to be pushed by them 
so all of it i guess and then on the side it's it's really interesting i don't know if you experienced this but when you're balancing your acting stuff with your side gig to finance it i've really tried to spend the last two years trying to make the side gig complement the acting so that it's not disjointed so it doesn't feel like i'm exhausted by the end of doing the side gig to promote the acting and i've been really lucky i've been doing the speech coaching work for a long time now and people started seeking me out which has been really wonderful and then alongside of that i've started to notice that when my clients i guess have inner conflict within themselves their own anxiety will come up and that anxiety will show up as aggression so the the kinds of people that we were talking about before who might promote the amsterdam christmas tradition that will come out in that kind of a way or through self-sabotage that they won't push themselves forward or they'll mumble or they'll feel like they're being beaten down by the man so it comes back to the time you and I met and um, might be contentious by saying this I hope you still talk to me after I share this but after that interesting <laughs> reduction for a whole heap of reasons I did read the book that we were we were basing that work on and I think there's some real value to a lot of that stuff. So I've been looking at more of the therapeutic techniques with sort of clients, myself, my work, all of it, but balancing the sort of yin and yang energy of our inner selves and, and how a tissue we met through has this concept of solo luna, which I think is actually pretty important, especially maybe more important for the kinds of people who would promote calling Invasion Day Australia Day or celebrating the Amsterdam Christmas the people who are still not quite getting the impact that their generation and their ancestors had on oppressing other peoples. You know, on one side, you want to just sort of slap them in the face, and then the other side, it's like, well, they're pretty contorted and distorted in their own thoughts and feelings about stuff. And that tends to be where, excitingly, I get access to a lot of these clients, and we start to balance their inner response. And so the aggression starts to turn into compassion, starts to turn into radical empathy. They get very uncomfortable for a couple of weeks too, which is probably a good thing. And then they can start to navigate and see outside the box. So that's been very exciting to be looking at that kind of work. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> Why do you think that that would uh, be contentious with me? Oh no, I, I, because I, I, I'm very insecure. <laughs> oh. Putting forward things that are that are powerful. Sometimes I get very insecure about how people will. No, hear that what sounds I'm right on the money. Um, I, I, it makes me think of in my survival job, Ed's Lobster Bar. So yeah, hard. yum. Um, yeah, it is. It's delicious. <laughs> um, but I do. I was thinking about this today, and kind of sometimes going on the journey when you when you start to like the title of your piece is also interesting because it's mm -hmm. manifesting mm -hmm. which has a double meaning yeah because obviously uh the manifesto by Karl Marx um I love you got that. and then manifesting right. which is has become really popular in popular culture yeah. with like law of attraction and stuff like that yeah and one thing about the law like the secret and all of that yeah i actually am team secret uh -huh. um because i think a lot of people miss like when a lot of people get mad about it they what they don't like about it is oh if i if i have a positive mindset and i wish for things they'll just come to me and that's not how mm -hmm, i mm -hmm. interpreted it like it is more start with the mindset yeah. and then 
you have to take action. Like you have to take action. Yeah. Like you have to follow your heart and take action. So it's like, it's not that things are going to happen without it. And what's interesting though, is like, I believe in my experience is sometimes when you start in a direction, like you kind of declare something, Mm. uh, sometimes if there's something holding you back and maybe it's like a security thing, sometimes things have a way of shaking up like Mm. in a way that's not fun, but that you need, you need more time to focus on the other things and sometimes things are taken away. Uh, but it makes me think of what you're talking about conversation I had at the restaurant because we're around a lot of different people Yeah, and there's this guy and probably in his early sixties, I would say him and his wife and he travels a lot for work and he, at some point I think has made a pretty good living for himself Mm. and his family. And he has two, I'm remembering he has like a couple kids like around my age and maybe one or maybe both of them don't have kids right now. And I don't know if I want kids either. And we, we talk about this and we go back and forth. And then I mentioned, you know, my wife being from Amsterdam and that if we did have kids, we'd probably mm. want to do that in Amsterdam just because <laughs> like the quality of life is just a lot more secure. And then he got kind of, uh, hostile the kid with me. Or the, the, the this guy, was the, the this dad. was just the adult. Like the, the kids yeah. weren't there. Like they right. were in the conversation, and he was kind of like, "Well, this is a perfectly good place to be." And I'm like, "I never <laughs> said it wasn't." And then he's like going on and like basically like, "No, like do, why would you want to go over there?" And basically making the argument that I was not proud of things here, which I wasn't even saying. Yeah, you saying say and yeah. um, but just. The other thing is he traveled. So I was like, so you get to travel all the time. Like you spend yeah. half a year in some place, but you have a problem with me wanting to live somewhere. And he was like, well, aren't you? And I was like, I'm a proud member of the human race. Like, and I want to live different parts in the world. Like I don't yeah. like the things that are good here. I like, but the things that are ugly here, I do not like, and I want to work to change. Yeah. But yeah, like if I, want to raise kids someday i don't know that i want them to grow up here yeah there, but there's problems everywhere you know that's the thing yeah but that's the thing but that's why i think the solo luna thing that is how you and i met like we were doing this show about energy and looking at that i think if people looked at themselves more with that framing alongside law of attraction alongside responsibility alongside being a member of the human race we might have more fun Without mm-hmm. diversity, rather than being so aggressive to each other about it. And you bring up an interesting point. I, yeah, it's really funny. Like, if we had this conversation four weeks ago, I'd be jumping on the, the secret bandwagon and the law of attraction bandwagon, and I still am in it and on it. I mean, this morning I manifested something. There's a friend of mine who was being a real jerk to me, and I was like, I'd like him to apologize. And I was like, ooh, I'm too like resisting on that thought. Oh, all right, we'll switch it. I'll be like, I mean, it'd be nice if he apologized, but if he doesn't, he doesn't. And then he sent me an apology within like 20 minutes. I was like, wow. Point being, it works. But then I also have a medical science degree. I don't know if I told you this. So I, I, in Australia, I did a law de- bachelor, bachelor of Laws and a medical science degree. And then I ended up working at, at a medical law firm for about two and a half years. 
and it was great in many ways. I was fusing my education with that. I was fusing that in my artwork. I was doing a lot of shows about cancer and I was doing a lot of shows about sort of access to health and better. Anyway, so it was all, it was all very exciting. It was all very synergistic. But there's also a neuroconference that I'm attending next week at Mount Sinai. And the, the, the neuroscientist part of my brain sometimes gets a little when all these law of attraction experts mm. are like, and neuroscience is promoting. And it's like, yeah, they, it is, it is, it doesn't work. But uh, uh, not quite in the way that you're describing it. And it doesn't really matter if you're describing it in the right way, right? Because if someone's going to find this belief system and be a better person through it, who cares? And it's clear that humans have synergistic spiritual energy. Like there's a reason why people like watching basketball games. Right, yeah. they're fully conscious that they're not actually playing the game, but mm-hmm. their emotions get into it. The same way why we like to watch theater. The same reason we like to watch shows. It's the empathy, and and science is still trying to figure out what exactly that is. Right, you've got dabbling research in mirror neurons. Are you familiar with neuron neurons? I am. I love yeah, it. I love it. that gets into that gets in a whole other right. Like that gets into different dimensions of reality, right? Mirror neurons. Oh, or? it might. I haven't read that research. Mirror neurons was was I think researched in the in the sixties and seventies, and uh, originally it had a really disparaging name. It was called monkey see, monkey do. Okay. But it is the human response. If if I see you smile, uh-huh. I'm probably going to smile back, unless I'm in a really bad mood or I don't like smiling generically statistically humans will respond to what they see energetically assuming the viewer is relaxed and so this becomes really exciting for my speech coaching work right because i'm essentially having to train people to be more zen in their speech and they go well but what if the person in the audience is yawning at me or what if they're rolling their eyes at me i'm like who cares you want to care enough to do a good job but you don't want to care enough that it gives you anxiety why because mirror neurons will start to fire if you're that tense statistically more of the audience will also feel that tension with you they might not consciously understand what's going on, but they'll feel it, right? Like we've all seen a speaker talk and we're like, oh, I really like what they're saying, but they seem a bit off or whatever. So the theory of that is that it's it's certain neurons in your brain that are firing because of identity. The simplest reason, the simplest example I can give you is if you and I were on a subway and a little baby was sitting next to us and it smiled, you'd probably more likely smile alongside it too. You might not, but you might. Anyway, so... That's, but again, that research isn't concrete and the plenty of neuroscientists are not on that bandwagon. Whether we have statistical evidence for stuff or not, it's clear humans have energy. Like, it's just clear. So on some level, my, my secret bandwagon side of me is like, well, who cares? Like, it, it's part of humanity. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, we wouldn't have thousands of religions. We wouldn't have thousands of creations, manifestations. Like, it doesn't really matter that we don't have hard science for it. But for some reason... Like you talked about that sort of when you go through a shift, all this stuff starts to unravel, which is a good thing, right? Mm Because it's like a growth spurt with a kid, right? Like we all grew up, there'd be pain as our body was growing, but it's a good pain. Your body's growing, it's maturing. I'm right in the middle of that. I don't know if this is TMI, but like I've read and researched almost everything I can with the law of attraction style stuff. I apply it, it's all working. I apply it with my teachings. The soul lunar thing is essentially a version of that. The yin and yang is a version of that. Alongside that, I have these two very scholarly degrees that I worked in the field. And again, with my clients, I do a lot of practical drills with them. But as of like three days ago, my brain's like, wait, how do I reconcile these two worlds? Well, I, so, I mean, I think it's, I like personally, like my beliefs are, and this comes like to religion also and stuff like that. Like, let's take Christianity, Mm -hmm. which was the religion that I was introduced to first um we were never 
hardcore Christians. Um, I think I, in elementary school, I went to like school with some people that went to church. And then I, I think I asked my parents about church mm. and cause I was like, what are they, what are these kids talking about? Like my grandparents were religious and stuff. Um, and my parents grew up that way, but both of them, when they had me weren't practicing per se. Yeah. And then we ended up going to a church that was super progressive. It was never like Helen Brimstone. It was mm-hmm. always mm-hmm. more kind of political and applicable to, to daily life. And it was, um, welcoming and affirming to, to everybody. That's great. Um, and so that was my introduction to Christianity and like, so my framework for that was basically my mom certainly was never like fundamentalist and neither was my dad. And so basically kind of when I read like the Genesis story, I'm like, Oh, this is a parable. This is a, this is a poetic version of the creation of the universe. Mm. Um, and Specifically to me, like my interpretation of it is especially like humans being created in the likeness of God. Mm. Like that is, we are both animals and we're something else. Like I think, like I love my dogs and I like, I believe in the spirit animal thing too. Yeah. Um, But like there is something very unique about humans is yeah. that we are part of nature and we are yeah apart like we're self-aware in a way that we haven't observed other animals being and it's there's a big yeah. price to pay with that because we are because we're self-aware we have been like we we seem to be able to very much affect our environment and maybe you know now i know this is probably not in neuroscience, but like the, the law of attraction folks, the woo stuff is like, yeah, you can, some people in sci-fi, you can fundamentally by thought change reality. Mm -hmm. But then I guess like with science, you keep going deeper, like getting into quantum mechanics and the line between thought and conscious, like thought and consciousness still can't be explained. Like our brain. Yeah. Like we understand the the hardware, but we don't understand where the software comes from. Yet, yeah, you know. So yeah. well, even even that description of it. I mean, this VR stuff that I've been dabbling into. Mm-hmm. We're looking at the ichor, right? The ichor, I think, being the Greek word for life force, and these artificial intelligent machines having a life force. And we have many, many, many classic pieces of literature, stories about Medea. What's his face? Tassos, Tasso, being a machine, Pandora being a robot that was created to come down and, and, and harm the humans because the humans had figured out how to make fire and the gods were like, whoa, 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 you're overstepping. But but machines have a life force too, we're learning. I mean, there are some things you can plug in data and it will c- program the information and decide a bunch of stuff that the human hasn't programmed into it to decide per se. A- and as a human, we have that too, right? Like exa- it, it's really interesting navigating that diversity. I think the reason why I was sort of confronted with my inner 
woo-woo side and my inner scholarly side. And I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I mean, I think they, they actually complement each other very well. But right now I'm sort of navigating the balance of that in my head a bit more than normal. It was because I was watching this documentary that was talking about what cults are. Oh, I love this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and and Abraham Hicks came up as one of them and a couple of other YouTube and vloggers that I've followed in the past. And I was like, huh. But then why is a religion included in that? And you look at a bunch oh, of messiahs. And it it's is. Like, like, yeah, I mean, it's just... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's just an interesting... For, and, and going back to the thing that's unique to humans, what you're talking about, the you know, the comparison of the human to the dogs and, and yet the spirituality and being there and, this, and, the, and the spirit animal totally being there in, in our essence. I was really reflecting on this and I might be wrong, but like the last couple of days I was like, I think what is really unique to humans is that we can frame things. Mm-hmm. That is the law of attraction to say, if you, if you really want to manifest something, conjure it in your feelings, it'll move into your thoughts and then it will start to become that reality. And then we look at some of the colonization stories that we're talking about, the winners tend to tell the narrative. That's a framing of a story. I saw an amazing show yesterday by this artist called YY, this play called I Love White Men. It's essentially her inner analysis as a Singaporean Chinese woman moving to America and dating a bunch of white men and what that means and sort of the colonizing, decolonizing aspect of her narrative with that. It was an amazing production. But again, she goes through a bunch of history and reframes it for us from the from the non-colonial side, which was great and challenging and wonderful to, to see it. And I think it's a true narrative of what she's describing, but it is a framing. Like, I can frame my Italian heritage in a certain way, but we also invaded Ethiopia. Like, my aunts lived there for many years. And by not including that in that framing, then there's a disservice, I think, into the reality of really how we've hurt people along the way. The flip side of that is the amount of bullying my dad got as an immigrant Italian in Australia, and my mother as well, and, and, and the amount of gentrification the two of them tried to do to fit into the Caucasian perspective of what Australia was at the time. I, I mean, even now, like, I, I'm a pretty fluid wackadoodle-do, but I, I went to this gender conference about gender diversity at equity the other day it was wonderful oh i saw that yeah oh so good i may everyone i've got notes i can share them with you i think it was really it was really good for me to learn more about how i can be a better participant but also in the last four years i finally started to become more comfortable saying yeah i have the genitalia of a female but i don't really feel like often i've been in a locker room with women i'm like i don't know if i really fit in with all these women all the time like i think i and i think a lot of people don't have to comply to that that boxing but even the boxing is a framing and and maybe it made sense thousands of years ago to promote control to promote human growth and inventions and infrastructure and blah 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 but anyway the framing seems to be my obsession right now that like as humans we can frame even the solar lunar is a framing right to go let's get balanced with my with my doing energy my my yang energy and let's get my my solar energy and let's get balanced with my lunar my subconscious my yin, yeah my yang energy and 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 balance that out is a framing and yeah and that i think so like with religions and cults i love that conversation <laughs> um like i love watching documentaries about cults and i love there's a 
show on Netflix I'm almost done with. Uh, it's called the either The Messiah or Messiah. Ooh, okay, I'll have to watch yeah, it. Yeah, definitely check that one out. You'll <laughs> like it because it takes place like maybe a couple years from now. And it's about this guy who appears um, kind of out of nowhere in, I think when you first see him, it's in Damascus. Mm-hmm. And um, he's like Arab. He has like an Arab appearance mm-hmm. and basically performs a miracle. Mm. And then, yeah, like, and then ends up in the States, but starts attracting this huge following. And there's like assumptions at first that that he's like a, an, an Islamic extremist terrorist, of mm. course, like, because cause of where he is in the world. Um, but then he keeps, basically a bunch of people are angry at him um, because he's not, He's he says very little mm. and he's not doing what the different people who follow him at first want him to do. Right. Um so so I love that that type of thing. Um but then like the other thing, going back to like control, mm. I think religion and it's best, like if it leads people to like a better mm. life, mm-hmm. um, which I think that's what it's supposed to do like yeah supposed to kind of be a thing to guide people yeah um then it's like great but when it con- when it's like a control thing yeah. and especially when it's these are my beliefs and everybody else needs to have them that's when it becomes yeah. a problem to me yeah um and and again for me like the different religions what i see pretty much all of them when i approach it from myself like what what i the message i'm getting from them doesn't contradict yeah that's you know right. yeah um well, yeah i can give you a simple example too from a i guess pagan witchy perspective which mm-hmm. i guess is how i identify if you want to put me in a box but let's not frame it that way is i'm sort of dabbling in this stuff i mean i think all kids dabble in this stuff i mean truly it's very intuitive the law of attraction kind of thing is pretty fundamental to human existence and I think when you start to box it and then as you say put controlling elements to it 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 can run amok and people are susceptible to being brainwashed too which I think is why that can happen so easily but as long as you're part of a religion or belief system where you're still an individual that's whole and complete and you can think whilst having a guidance system that is in service of growing to me that's the ideal individual within the community and then who cares if you're doing it through islam buddhism shintoism christianity like who gives a fuck but from a from a witchy perspective i started noticing when at a very young age that i could conjure things pretty quickly it was kind of great like Mm -hmm. everything i could conjure pretty quickly but then when i started to research more into I don't know how to describe it, but normalized witching, not normalized, but the spells and the, and, and the sort of specific recipes for conjuring, which has wonderful value as well. I noticed that when I was doing it in such a systematic way, I would create a mess. And for me, I finally realized a while back, oh, it's because for me as an individual, and we could pull in my Aquarius side, we could pull in my cookies I mean there's a whole I mean, you could justify it from anyone but me as me if I push something 
I create chaos. Yeah. Whereas if I listen and go with the flow, it magically goes wonderfully. For me, I know other witches who are very by the book and are very good at sticking to recipes. I mean, even when I cook, if I cook by recipe, I'm more likely to mess of, make a mess of it. If I go with the flow and get a general sense of, okay, we're going to do this cake and this is a general idea and then I add to it, bang, my brother's like, Clara, make that cake for me again. I loved it. And so I guess also it goes into the individual, the individual being responsible for how they're system works. I am someone who if I push, it will break. I mean, it will fix in some way, but it will, it will just be a really unpleasant experience along the way for me at least. And probably some other people around me. And yet that doesn't take away from the ability to conjure and and be in that heightened state and be a better person. On the flip side, I have friends who, if they, if they just go with the flow, they never do anything. And then they feel like shit and they're sort of in depression and land. If they stick to a recipe, it goes really well for them. Mm -hmm. I don't know where this is going, but I just wanted to share No, that. I hear you. <laughs> um, if you had to put me into a box, I'd probably, I would call myself a Gnostic uh-huh. or a mystic. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm into the shaman stuff yeah. too. Um, and, and also like, I guess my, so going back to like Christianity, I'm, I have a tattoo and it's a third, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's three crosses in it. And it's partially because like, yeah, that was an important thing. And I did choose to be baptized in that same church when I was like in high school. And then it's like over time, I, I would call myself a Christian, but with like an asterisk, but I'm this kind like I'm, but I'm into other things also because that was just part of the church that I grew up in. And then over time I was like, I realized I don't, well, I don't not call myself anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I just don't. That's just not the. I wouldn't put a particular label on it. Yeah, for sure. Because um, basically, one of the fundamental things, and like the Gnostics were like the the Gnostic Christians were like the original Christians. Yeah. Some people, <laughs> I'm sure that's a controversial thing, <laughs> but they were like wiped out. Yeah. Um, because basically what they, they like that, and this is a layman's understanding of this, but basically there's the, one of the messages of Jesus and also that story also has repeated and stories repeat, like there's different, there are things like yeah. Horace, like you can go back. Um, but the idea of follow me mm. and the what that means and what religion and the Catholic church and like organized religion, I think did is they made it worship this person, worship this. Yeah. Whereas, so like, there's like a quote, um, it's like, I'm the way to the kingdom of heaven, something like that. To me, there's an interpretation where it's, Hmm. Like any of your role models, you can, worship a role model yeah but i don't think that that will and if and if it does give you peace cool like some people like having that positive thing that that works but like for me i like to like look at what people do who i admire and like emulate it yeah and like basically the gnostics i think believed yeah like if you kind of that like if you believe like in the power if you believe in like the life force like miracles are 
actually possible yeah. and anybody can do them if you like believe and you know align yourself meditate yeah. all of that stuff so it's like it's not and it's not about yeah but it's like not the goal to like be worshipped it's like the goal to be what humans are capable of it's that like i believe humans are capable of yeah. more than than we are in a mass sense yeah i feel like we're instead what we're historically have been doing is we've been being the lowest version of ourselves yeah. as a collective yeah. and i think if more people could become miracles like I, everybody be a messiah like you know what i mean yeah. that's like what i think the message was but that's like what that's like not what's religion usually doesn't seem to promote that as a structure right because the religion is being led by a human and i'll go back to the solar luna thing which generally has a distorted solar side to them mm-hmm. they've generally bought into the myth that is the patriarchy they need to like there's a power because if you don't then humans will be phallus ruined and yeah i had a really weird interpretation of the bible about five months ago i was like huh Genesis is the human going through the growth spurt. It's painful. It's uncomfortable. And then what's the second part called? The, the Exodus, which... Wait, we have the first... Alta- the New Testament. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah, my Christian teachers are going to be so upset with me. Anyway, you have the Old Testament, which is mm-hmm. the growth spurt. And then you have the, the New Testament, which is like, oh, I'm in my own little piece. And it's a story through a bunch of different people, through a different bunch of different things to identify with the self. The self going... This might be uncomfortable as you wake up to it. Ta-da! Now share fish and bread with everyone. Like, chill out. There's nothing to be angry about. Yeah. I remember when I was in grade six, my teacher told me that we only use, I think, 10% of the human brain's capacity. Mm-hmm. I don't know where they pulled the number from. And I remember sitting on the toilet. I, I would do my best thinking on the toilet. I was just sitting there and being like, 10%. And at the same time, I think Matilda, the movie had just come out. So I was like, so the rest of the percent is for me to like move books with energy? Cool. Like, how do we do that? And now I've flunked myself in the 2020 and, and everyone's talking about it. It's a very vogue conversation to be having. So it's it's cool. Mm-hmm. And then the original Matrix kind of was yes! touching on a lot of that too. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast recently and they were, t- and I think there's this podcast that's called Impact Theory. Mm. And the guy's, one of the shirts, his favorite shirts is a thing that says the Matrix was a documentary. Yeah. And it's basically, <laughs> yeah, about waking up to, yeah, like, and it's, so the woo-woo side, yeah, the law of attraction. But if you flip that even like to the science side of it, if you yeah. look at any like business coach or like if you look at like the conventional thinking of business coach, it's like, yeah, set goals, set intentions. Yeah. And that's basically the same thing. It is. You know, yeah. just framed it. It's the framework that's yeah. different. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, I think we're at an exciting time with science and woo-woo. <laughs> One of a better word. We need to come up with a better name. <laughs> um, uh, slowly merging a little closer together, which... Makes sense because I had this theory as a kid. I was like, we can't create anything that doesn't already exist. Literally, like I can't have a thought about something that doesn't already exist. And then when I started doing biology classes and I learned about ATP and how that burns energy in the human body, right? The ATP, what is it? An enzyme? What? It's a, it's a, I don't know. Whatever. It's in our system, and that's how we make energy. That's how we burn our fat and storage cells to to move. 
the I think it's an enzyme is oh god I'm gonna oh I'm so embarrassed <laughs> that is in the shape of a roller coaster mm. and I'm like cool so the idea of a roller coaster was an invent like it didn't come from nowhere like it's literally in our body that shape is in our body as an as a thing I mean that is taking it to a very philosophical extreme level but that philosophical perspective woo woo is philosophy maybe we can do well that. I'll, t- I'll tell you another one yeah, yeah. like the um so, because somebody asked me, like, point blank about, like, my, like, do I believe in God or do I believe in, like, a higher consciousness? Yeah. And the answer is yes. Like, I do. Um, I don't think, I don't believe in, like, I believe in, like, there's energy and magnetic energy and stuff like that. Um, so, it's, I don't think, I don't believe in heaven and hell in a literal sense mm-hmm. um i do like i like it's complicated what i think about that because i believe like you can create your own hell for sure and oh, i yeah. feel like i like in the darkest time in my life like i kind of did that for myself and then got out of it yeah. <laughs> like i broke out and changed everything back around um but basically i don't believe that there's like a uh, old white man with a beard <laughs> no. judging everything no. that I do. Yeah. Like I believe that th- the higher consciousness, like it's not petty like that. I don't believe in that pettiness. Yeah. Um, but my, where that connects with science is like that the earth, like just look at the earth. It has, these different layers to it Mm. and in the center there's a core if you look at us like we have like in our core like we have a heart we have our brain um but then if you go smaller i don't know if this is considered the smallest life form anymore like but but like cells used to be considered the smallest life form um i don't know the current thought on that. I think there might be update on that, but yeah. definitely I was in the chem classes at that age yeah. too. Right, and, and the cell, atoms and the shells, right? Yeah, and a cell has like a crust and yeah. it has a nucleus, which yeah. is a core. Like it's it's the same structure of the earth. Some people are like, oh, there's a new theory that the earth is alive. It's like, of course it's alive. Look at this, <laughs> the structure. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now it's yeah. not, it. we're, and then humans kind of in a way, I think are the collective consciousness maybe or something the same way like then you can get into the because now there's the um the mycelium network Mm -hmm. like that maybe our collective consciousness yeah like fungus like that's a whole other thing but like then expand to the universe and there's the sun and solar system and then when you look at the galaxy yeah it's this spherical thing like you zoom out yeah. And it starts to look like these balls of energy. Right. You know what I mean? And yeah. so, sure, it would make sense to me that this makes up something bigger. Yeah. Maybe it makes up some, maybe it's a dog A figure, giant teddy bear. You know? Yeah. <laughs> walking around in galaxy. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and maybe there's more of them and they're debating yeah these things right well that's why right now in this vr world that i'm playing in like just researching gaming i mean i'm not particularly going to work in gaming but like just researching more of that kind of understanding you have people creating worlds within worlds within worlds within worlds and it's not too far-fetched that we wouldn't be part of that and then you compare it to galileo's time where everyone thought the world was flat 
And with everyone agreeing with that understanding, they only saw that much of it. And mm-hmm. then when we, I mean, it's a sad story too, but when we started to invade, you started to then also learn about more of the sphere. And now we're in this global round concept of how the, who knows what they'll figure out in another 5,000 years. Like maybe we're all, I don't know, in the shape of stars. I, I really don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I love that analogy of the world and that's a mirror to our atoms and that's a mirror to, I mean, that stuff to me makes sense. Like how on earth could someone have created a roller coaster? Not a roller coaster. That's not the shape of a roller coaster. What's that thing? Not carousel. The helix. The, what's that thing that people go to the Ferris to sit in? Like love is kissing it. And the Ferris wheel? The Ferris wheel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Ferris wheel is the shape of the ATP and that's how it moves. But things... Uh, the, the energy comes in, it gets processed, it gets moved, and it spits out. Almost like people getting up and down on the seats of it and then leaving. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't know. It's a deep philosophical debate that we've got into without other opinions. But it's, it's yeah, it's, I think it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And then I think like what that means is, <sighs> to me, like the the nihilistic view like mm-hmm. nothing that nothing matters mm-hmm. even that like even that view can be useful as far as like so don't be petty or like choose what matters yeah. to you like you know what i mean yeah like even like this presidential election happening mm-hmm. right now um i've if p- people know who i'm i've been behind uh bernie sanders for like a long time yeah um and but it's like whoever you're whatever you believe cuz my thing with like with politics and stuff like that is like a lot of people don't we get into this thing where everybody becomes a politician they're like well can this person mm-hmm. I, I i like this person's ideas but can they win and it's like well we can't win period if we like limit our beliefs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like go for what you believe in. Right. Like there's no guarantee that it's all going to happen, but like, right. With the fingers crossed that what you believe in is, is, is charitable and respectful and responsible and kind. I mean, that's the other problem too, that like when I'm teaching the speech coaching stuff, I'm essentially teaching people to be excellent orators which from an acting perspective is second nature to you and me. And yet from a, if you look at it from a binary Jedi Knight force, the force is there. You can use it as a Jedi. You can use it as a Sith Lord. And I'm hoping all my clients are Jedi Knights and they're going to use these skills to promote the good. But if you look at the current election situation, part of that was money. Part of that was brainwashing. But a lot of it was really good oration. Whether you like what that man is saying or not, his skill set is phenomenal it's the skill set that I was teaching for years. It's the skill set that makes great speakers. We saw it with a variety of, of dictators. We've also seen it with a variety of what I would consider very liberal, balanced, capitalist, socialist leaders. And so you hope that the person's belief system is not a libertarian one for one, one for one, but a, even an ancient altruistic libertarian perspective would be better, right? One for me and to help other people in the way that I would like to help them. But as long as they're happy. But, I mean, that's getting to political sp- spectrum. But it... um. It, it, it's it's a tricky balance, I think, when it comes to the political thing in America, too, because as far as I'm aware, it's 
I think one of the few democracies where there's no cap on how much money you yeah, can spend. Yeah, oh, it's, it's to broken. Promote, yep. And that's nuts. So our friend Keith Matchell, who introduced us, he recommended I watch The Great Hack. Have you seen that documentary on Netflix? Mm. Highly recommend it to all your listeners. Watch The Great Hack. It's a really interesting take on exactly what you and I were talking about before. Like this very liberal, open-minded white woman being part of the team that promoted and got Trump to the position he was in with Cambridge Analytica and, you know, any other conspiracy series you want to throw in there. But then when she was doing this stuff, having to really go back and confront the fact that she might have fucked up. And I, I guess on some level I believe in redemption, which is why the solo Luna thing and why I was saying that when people can people who are traditionally oppressive, conservative in a in a negative way, narcissist, I mean I'm not saying everyone can change, but there is room for people to sort of balance their inner solar lunar, inner yin and yang, and go, oh, that might have not been the best thing I did five years ago. I can't change what happened, but my existence as a human doesn't mean I have to internally combust. I mean, we still keep living with each other. Yeah. I, I think that- that's super important um, to, like, redemption and change. Like, just, like, both in things you didn't, like, that you maybe got wrong yeah. or things like you got off course somewhere that it's like it's never too late to right but that not too late is uncomfortable and Mm -hmm. i think we need to educate children and adults to be like it's okay to feel a bit of discomfort if you're you know if it's safe and you're consenting and you're figuring stuff out yourself i'm not saying go like be beaten up by someone on the street that's definitely not the answer but but that discomfort is part of the growth spurt and if we i think become very good at desensitizing that shift that we need to implement in order to step to the next level. I've been level. thinking about failure a lot lately too. Yeah. And I, and again, I think that's like the, cause I heard recently failure way to success, mm-hmm. which is what everybody does. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the flip side is that you're not setting out to fail, but like if you want to grow, if you want to get better at something, you have to be okay with like trying things out and yeah, like not being like in order to get better at something, you have to do the things yeah. over and over again. And so you have to do them from where you are and improve upon it. Like yeah. it's a process, you know what I mean? But like a lot of people, because they're not already good at it are afraid of, doing it where they are and sharing it where they are. Um, but you have to do that in order to like grow. Yeah, definitely. I think there's, you know, the cognitive behavioral therapy model that how we feel affects how we think, affects mm-hmm. how we behave or how you perform. There's a fourth step in that. It, it goes to that, right? I mean, I think the only exception to that paradigm is if one is a true clinical psychopath, which there aren't that many. <laughs> I think we're seeing a couple wandering right. the streets right now, but there aren't that many statistically. Or if you're Hamlet, right? Like you're an actor, like the, to be or not to be, I would argue is a philosophical analysis of the breakdown of that system. How I feel affects how I think, affects how I behave. Or if you're an actor, right? You're manipulating feelings on purpose for a specific reason in order to tell a specific story most humans I've come across my life up until recently, that paradigm had been bullied by a bunch of Mm -hmm. cultural things, religious things, gender things, ethnicity, like a bunch of stuff. And if you can get those three things more in alignment, then I think you can get comfortable feeling a little uncomfortable. And again, I'll give an example of the speech people that I work with. High-end CEOs, 
big presidents have come. I mean, really important people in what they're doing and very, very expert in what they're doing having anxiety attacks before they go up to speak or being too aggressive and not being able to get their employees to do what they want them to do because they come across as angry and their employees are batshit scared. When my clients finally get that three-pronged system in line, and in fairness, every person is different, right? Like some people, if I went too woo-woo, they would leave. Some people, if I went too practical, they would be scared. So it's about me also realigning my solo lunar energy depending on the client. Some people I might be more, more forceful with. Some people might be more holistic and slow and loving with. But... That th- prong thing, once they can align all of them, they can get more comfortable in the feeling of discomfort when they speak. And ironically, like you said, if you start practicing getting real with how you feel, I want that on a t-shirt. Like this is just a call out to anyone listening. If you have a t-shirt company, I want t-shirts <laughs> saying getting real with how you feel. Hashtag good public speaking. Anyway, if you can get those things aligned and you can get used to feeling more uncomfortable before you speak, you're more likely to do a better job because going back to your thing about the judgment and the, you know, the omnipresent white male God judging us, that's kind of bullshit. The energy that you're expending in judging yourself as you're doing a speech and trying to deny that you feel uncomfortable, you can then move that energy into going, okay, I feel a little uncomfortable and you shift that energy into just doing a good job. It's amazing the breakthroughs that my little clients, my, my big, great, wonderful clients have. But it takes a lot of time to get to go get uncomfortable on this spectrum. And look, I, mean, I, I practice it myself. Like three days ago, I was having this, as I said, sort of conniption of like, I feel uncomfortable with like my spirituality and my, my brain. And normally they're aligned and they're not fighting each other. Blah, blah, blah. And just going, okay, I'm going through a shift. Like I'm actually shifting into a different perspective and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe don't get drunk and call ex-boyfriends up, right? Like, like acknowledge that that's where I'm feeling right now. It's uncomfortable. Don't run from it. Don't try to suppress it. Just kind of be in it with it, and it'll it'll shift. Yeah, and keep doing the. Yeah, it's like take the. That's like where the action. I think. Yes, definitely. Helps. Yes. I the other day had one of those agent meeting things at one of those places. And I had time in between work and the meeting. And I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to book a studio Great. nearby and just work on my material a little bit by myself. Yes. I was, a, and I, I wasn't as focused as I would have liked to have been. It was, it was what it was, but I dedicated that time and then in the meeting and I tried some new things with the monologue, like slightly different cut. And in the meeting, as I was doing the monologue, I didn't feel all the way dropped in. You know Mm -hmm. how it is. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. there's levels to it or whatever. But so I was kind of the small part of me was sort of just like, ah, you're not like, you know what I mean? You're, I was struggling. Um, so I didn't feel very good about it. And then I finished and then she was, like immediately like, Oh, like I want to see what happens, like blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Oh, and it's, yeah, there's something about like, it was a difficult rehearsal I had that day, but spending that time. Yeah. Probably even though it wasn't the best I could do because I warmed up and like did my practice, whatever I did, in that moment was better than like what I would have done would have been what I did at the beginning of that. Yeah, you know what I mean? Definitely. I'm yeah. so like taking those 
I don't know. I've been thinking about time a lot lately too. Yeah. And taking the time. And yeah. I, I don't know how this relates to time, but in terms of that inner voice judging mm-hmm. in that first step, I would propose that part of that judgment is because it's a new thing for yourself that you're doing. And we mm-hmm. go back to the growth spurt, right? We tend to have that discomfort when we're trying out something new. Like you've obviously acted for many years. That's not the new thing. The new thing is going, I'm going to give myself this time. Mm-hmm. And so your inner protectioner or your, what I call with my clients, the inner editor voice of that, oh, you've got cellulite on your legs. Oh, you don't know how to act. Oh, you're not jumped in. Oh, you're never going to get a paycheck. Oh, is protecting you in a bad way. Right. But it's attempting to protect you because you're doing something new. It's not familiar. And, and I'm not going to promote colonizing. I will, however, argue the fear that humans have had for each other for centuries, part of it was a protection mechanism. Right. Part of it is because we could be eaten by animals. I mean, if we truly think of the human, we're pretty pathetic from a physical perspective. We don't have fangs. We don't have claws. We can't go like flying up into trees to protect ourselves. So this inner voice as a protectioner has use. It's a little outdated. It's a lot outdated. It's been outdated for a long time. But that's part of why I think that voice kicks in in that time. So good on you for like having done that practice and be like, no, nah, I'm just going to try it out. It doesn't have to be the best. It doesn't have to be an Oscar winning performance. It's just me giving myself a room, literally and metaphorically, to do this thing and to train that little voice to realize that this is a safe new thing. Like chill out. Mm-hmm. My VR friends would debate me on this. My scientist friends would, I think, support me on this. But like the limbic system, the fight, flight, or freeze is definitely part of our human protection response definitely yeah and that's that anyway do you uh have any do you know any plans on when the show will be happening next i do and i don't i haven't signed an nda per se but we're in negotiations (laughs) so i don't know if i can send you information in the future and you can do a little pitch and a plug but if that's the case i'll let you know in terms of some other projects this is really interesting korean director rachel that is working with me in May on a production called Tea Room. And it's definitely looking at the sort of conspiracy and governmental control issues between the two Koreas. He did it in Korea with a Korean cast. He did it in Edinburgh with a British cast. And he's, he's wanting to bring it to America. We can do it with a, an American, well, I'm not American, but American local cast. And it's the first time he'll be doing it with a woman. It's a woman. It's a two-hander generally been done with two men. Mm-hmm. And so that'll be happening in May, May 28th at the Secret Theater in Queens. So I can plug that. But Mrs. Marks right now is in negotiations with some touring deals. And I, I hope one day to do it in New York City, like yeah, in Manhattan. I, I think it would be great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And let's make that happen. Maybe we could manifest it. Yeah. <laughs> um, That'd be great. What's the best place for people to to follow you and yeah. be up to date on what you're up to? Yeah. Thanks for the call out. www.clarafrancesca.com. And it's a new website that I'm really proud of. My friend Tammy just helped me rebuild it. So it, it looks sexy and fun and it's got a what's up and, you know, calendar list of things that I'm doing. I just finished doing The Duchess of Malfi. I don't know if you uh, ever dabbled in the Webster plays, the contemporary of Shakespeare. I've heard of that one. Yeah, but. yeah. So that was, I got to get choked to death two weeks ago by my character brothers because I decided to marry for love and that pissed them off. And it's it's a, it's not, Webster was not, a, I mean, that's been done, but Webster was not as fluid as Shakespeare, I think, as a writer. 
but it's it's a pretty empowering role for a female. I mean, yeah, she dies, but like along the way, I get to do I got to do little monologues and scenes that had essence of Hamlet, essence of Leah, essence of Beatrice, essence of as you like it in it. It was it was quite cool, but it's just not as fluid as as good old Bill. So yeah, upcoming www.clarafrancesca.com. And then you're on Instagram too. Do you yes. do you use that also to promote things? I do. I tend to use Instagram as my dear friend says to post weird shit. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a lot of political stuff too sometimes. My social thoughts I use it for, but it is C L A R underscore E S C A Claresca. I used to my, my real name is Clara Pagoni. I don't know if you know this. Mm-mm. Yeah. And I stopped using it because I had a lot of casting experiences where the casting director would correct my name after I had slated. So weird. <laughs> and I think they were well-intentioned. I think it was coming from a place was, oh, I'm Italian as well from seven generations ago. Let me connect with you about my understanding of the Italian language. And so I, I assume it was coming from a good place because often I was slating and then doing really intense film work like assault scenes so it's a strange point to interrupt an actor in mm-hmm. but they would be like no 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 isn't it clara pagioni isn't a g a j in italian i'm like fuck you can call me bob like i don't give a fuck i, I want to be cast i'm in my zone and now i'm out of my zone and now if i answer you honestly i will be correcting you and this is pre me to weinstein awareness of like you have a lot of power in this room and you should know this but we're not really in a situation where i feel safe to speak up about it Maybe that was my fault too. But it was just a very weird situation. So then I was like, you know what? Clara was given to me by my dad. Francesca was given to me by my mom. Let's say Clara Francesca. It's all very egalitarian, all very balanced. And yeah, it's less likely to be mispronounced, which I don't mind, right? If you meet me on the street and I say, hey, my name's Clara and you mispronounce it and you've just met me, that's fine. Or if you're reading my name on a piece of paper and you pronounce it the way you think, that's fine. But I was slating. Mm-hmm. Right? Is yeah. that weird? I don't know. I think that's weird. Anyway. I've started saying Alec the Third instead of Alex Stevens the Third because if I say Alex Stevens the Third, people hear Alex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of the sound of the yeah, Stevens. Exactly. That's fair. And I can yeah. slow it. I can go Alec Stevens the Third, but that's just not fun to do over time. It's just too <laughs> too long. It takes fair. too long. Yeah. Because you have to like kind of do a micro pause for that to work and it's not the point. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you identify. Yeah, I, I, yeah. It's um. But has anyone ever interrupted you? No. That's good. No, but it's like, but it's more the thing. Like, okay, Alex, whenever you're ready. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> and then I don't, because it's also it takes like you out. people, like that's just the thing. People are more familiar with the name Alex. Right. So plenty of times people say that. And that's something that used to be a point of contention. I do not care anymore. Right. I don't even hear it anymore. I'm right. just like, whatever. <laughs> right. Sometimes, like, you know, there are times, but usually I don't have the time. Yeah. I'll let, what what will happen now is usually somebody else will correct that person like six months after we meet. <laughs> Why didn't you yeah, tell yeah, me? Yeah. It's like, I don't care. <laughs> right. Um, right. Well, same with Clara at the beginning. Like, I really don't mind Clara. It's not the end of the world. But to correct Pagoni, Pagoni in the middle of a slate, I think is strange. Well, even the customer to be like, okay, thanks, Alec. It's like, no, oh, let's, let's, maybe you don't speak. Maybe you let me do my work and then you talk to me after I've done the audition. Because I can only imagine that would take you out, at least in the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's good that you don't care anymore. It's a good, healthy place to be. Yeah. I mean, I care, but you know <laughs> what I mean. Right. <laughs> yeah. Alec the third. Yeah. 
It rings off nicely, actually. Well, and it's also because the third <laughs> has become, that's like been the thing for a while. Like some people call me third, mm-hmm. like as a I nickname. Cool. Um, and that that's funny because it's a full circle. I was Trey when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. By my family. And like my grandma still, grandma turned 90 this last week. My grandpa's um, turning 90 next month. Woo! Nice. <laughs> Go grandpa. Happy birthday. Happy birthday you to your nan. Yeah, cool. Um. Oh, by the way, I was going to let you know, I, I'm starting a solo performance <gasps> class. It was actually supposed to start this week, but it's starting next week. And that's like an eight week program. Cool. Um, I was at the beginning of the year kind of looking and not certain of what was coming up next. And I write stuff and I have yeah. the band and I was looking at, looking up playwriting things and I saw a solo performance and I think it's. What's great about solo performance is it's a way to put different parts of yourself together. Yeah. Like your different things. Yeah. Together. Yeah. Your ideas and yeah. the, the different things you do, you can explore. Definitely. And nobody can tell you <laughs> otherwise, you know? <laughs> I mean, you work with other people and get feedback, of course, yeah. but like. I think, can I share a mm-hmm. thought about that? I think. So I started doing Shakespeare and solo work when I was 16 and won a bunch of awards in Australia, which was cool on a main stage called the Art Center, which is the biggest, I guess, the main space of Australia. Whilst doing a lot of Shakespeare and classic theater and training in that. And then I've done a lot more since. But now, as I develop more solo shows or do more collaborative ensemble stuff with people, I think as an artist, I'm starting to be sensitive to... A, you don't want to tell someone else's story, for sure. I mean, that's a big conversation in the white community that we should probably talk about a little bit more. But B, I think, as a solo artist, you need to be careful not to do a masturbation piece. Right. And so finding that balance of, you need to write about what you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if that's the unknown within your realm. But I think sometimes framing it in a way that, it, yeah, because I think the self-masturbation thing can, I, I, I mean, this is a longer conversation for another time maybe, but it, 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 it starts to go, well, is that art Right. Yeah. What is art? I do a lot of performance theater. I do a lot of experimental theater. I mean, so like there's a lot of what could be perceived as wankiness in my work. But I guess, yeah, that's the sort of um, thing that I've become more, well, that's an interesting thing to... because I have been thinking about other parallel career things. And I think I was talking to somebody about this this morning, actually. And like, basically, somebody who I and it's not not on this scale that I necessarily would want to be. But Oprah, mm. she does her Oprah thing. Mm-hmm. And then she's also an actor. Yeah. Um, and she's a good actor. And what she does like with her show is she interviews people. She shares ideas. She shares people doing cool things. Ellen, Ellen does that too now. Um, But that kind of thing like draws to me and like kind of the mindset coaching thing kind of draws to me. However, the thing that like I'm hesitant about like the mindset coaching thing is the big business that the law of attraction and all of that has become. Yeah. And when some of that sometimes can feel masturbatory. Yeah. 
in a way or some of like sometimes some of it can and it's not like it's like i i guess i i'll see people like you get inspired by something and then you want to do it but then it goes back to like the becoming your own oppressor like mm. i don't even know what i'm trying to say here just yeah i'm worried i i would worry about there's like a line that I think you could easily cross Yeah, where it's, and it has to do with the intention. I don't know. I, I, I think you're fully right. It has to do with the intention. I mean, right now I'm, I'm do a lot of public speaking and I'm doing a lot of mindset training. I mean, that's kind of my, my thing when I'm not acting and I'm lucky because people come to me so I don't have to go, God, I would hate to be a Mata. That would be atrocious. But as I'm doing more research in therapy and I'm doing more of, going back into my neuroscience roots and I'm wanting to promote more of this stuff with, with more therapists, right? So what does that look like? How do we put it out there? And how do we put it out there without it being a brainwashing experiment? Mm-hmm. Uh, is a, yeah, it's a question I'm grappling with too. Something my brother said, he was in town a couple months ago and we, we talked right here had a nice little chat. <laughs> um, and we were talking about the arts. And one thing that he said was really powerful is that it's all about perspective. Yeah. And that every artist has their own perspective and that all of those perspectives are valuable. That's fair. So I think it's, I think what bothers me sometimes in the self-help arena is there are people that I listen to and I love listening to them because, again... Like you said, it's not that you're creating anything new. It's just I think every individual person is a new potential framework. Yeah. Like a new potential perspective on the idea that and and sharing that perspective may resonate with somebody who nothing is resonating. Like they need to hear your, you know, your perspective might be for one person who's like lost and it could be the thing that like changes their life totally that i think is like great but what i see happen sometimes is people go into the self-help thing and then they're like oh well tony robbins did x y and z so i need to my whole game plan needs to be i need to follow the tony robbins game plan and i need to say exactly what tony robbins is saying in my way instead of figuring out what you have uniquely to say. Yeah. No, so. I fully agree with that. And I think it goes back to the the circle of feel, think, behave, right? Because we're not really teaching people to get real with how they feel. They're often then bullying their own thoughts of like, I can't do this. I'm not allowed to do this. Mom's going to, you know, hit me if I do this or like my career's over. And then they behave in this really deranged, distorted way, either self-sabotaging or narcissist, wherever you are on the spectrum of that. Not that it's that simple, but a version of that will happen. And then therefore they will feel obliged to do the Tony Robbins way rather than going, what is it for me? Or is it an important, I mean, there are certain shows that I thought I wanted to develop and I'm like, nope, I don't need to develop that show. Someone else is doing that. And that's absolutely great. Or, and then there are other things I'm like, no, I really need to speak out about this. I mean, the Mrs. Marx thing too, when I first did it, it's, it's on, on some level, it's very avant-garde on another level. It's very profoundly scholarly and intellectual and it depends on the audience watching it, how they, what they take from it. But what I was really chuffed about was when I took it to Edinburgh, I had, and not to poo-poo the white man, but I had many, many, many white men over 40 cry. 
it's a bit sick that as actors I'm like, yeah, I made them cry. But I was like, yeah, I made them cry. And a lot of them came up to me was like, wow, I'd never thought about how much of a jerk I can be to people. My jaw was on the ground. I'm like, that is fucking great that that's what you took away from Jenny Marks' story. I mean, a little bit intentional too. I'm kind of hoping it has that effect. But, but that's cool. And yet I've had, I've had women, white women who, you know, have the, definitely the white feminist problem complex inside of them be pissed off at the show I'm doing. And on an intellectual level, it is about white feminism. I mean, so it, you know what I mean? Like people pick up on whatever they want to pick up on and they might not like what I'm doing. But that for me was really, uh, that for me, I was like, great. That's where and why I'm putting this artwork forward. And, you know, it sucks that this one individual white feminist lady didn't like it you know it's okay <laughs> and yeah no i think it is okay and i think that that's everybody's not supposed to like no exactly you know? yeah totally um and that's <laughs> like that's great too right totally. because it's like also i have friends we were talking about like so like i'm, I'm pretty political on facebook but i've been careful in more recent years, like mm. I share a lot of stuff and I will have little conversations, but I kind of try to not debate mm. on Facebook because mm-hmm. I just don't think it's a good forum for healthy debate. I think I it's a forum for very unhealthy arguments um, because context is missing. It's just not. And the human's missing. And well, and it becomes. Like, it's not a conversation, it's not a debate where people are listening anymore. It's like where people are just trying to win. And it's not a, it's not a game, I don't think, where anybody wins when you get into those arguments, you know? Yeah. Like, there's only a win to me if, if you can somehow, like, walk away and learn something. Yeah. And there have been conversations that I've had as a man on Facebook where I like learned something and could walk yeah. away and go, okay. But even in that, like sometimes, <laughs> like even in the process, somebody's like, yeah, well, like, because it was about like sexism and had to do with Last Tango in Paris. But I was like asking all these questions. Mm. And I don't know if you heard, there's like a lot of controversy about that movie back in the day. Um, but somebody at the end, this woman was like, yeah, you shouldn't even speak on this. And it's like, well, Actually, though, like I, you don't know, and I'm not going to get into my whole history here, but like, I want to grow, learn and grow. And on like, it's not going to be fun conversations all the time. But like, the only way that I'm gonna, the only way that I'm gonna like learn these things is by having these conversations. It's not not having the conversation. You know what I mean? Because you can have an understanding. Um but you can't expect everybody to have the understanding as you. So it's like somebody being mad about something sometimes it's like wherever they are with their growth. Yeah. Like that thing they're mad about, they might get 10 years later. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. I look back on things now Me too. and like <laughs> realize like, oh. where I was. Yeah. Yeah. And where I was wrong in the past, you yeah, know? Me too. Um, yeah. And it's, and I'm happy to learn to have learned yeah because you're not going to internally combust just because you had a limiting ignorant experience or just because i've had a limit doesn't mean that my whole existence is defunct i think that's what generally people are afraid of Mm -hmm. if they confront that stuff in the past their whole existence will be defunct and that's just 
that's just not true. Yeah. I remember as a kid when my parents would fight, I'd be like, I'm divorcing you if you keep fighting. And then they kept fighting one day. So I literally got a bag. I must have been seven, I think. Packed my shit, left the front door. And my parents were like, okay, 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 okay. I mean, whatever. They've gone through their own journey too. And they're still together, which is nice for me. And But they, but about three years ago, I had a really, I guess, inner awakening of some of the structures and, and worldviews and belief systems that we had as a family that I had just adopted and never really questioned and they were creating problems with my partners and with myself and I mean, nothing earth shattering, but pretty pessimistic. And I confronted my dad about some of it. And my dad, in my opinion, is a champ. He's wonderful. My mom's a saint. <laughs> um, but my dad, like, you know, does really good stuff for social justice, civil liberties, my mom too. And I essentially had to have a confronting conversation where I had to say, look, some of these systems and beliefs that you've imprinted on me I'm not into anymore for this and this reason. You can do what you want, but I hope that you can see the limitations of some of them. And I guess I was also binging on Abraham Hicks at the time too, but sort of going, look. I, Who's Abraham Hicks? Uh, the, the the online YouTube cult, law of attraction lady. She's, okay. a, she's a lady who speaks through this entity called Abraham Hicks. But it's it's essentially sort of saying things like, you know, check in with yourself, let go of resistance. Everything we've been talking about is, I mean, I don't know what came first, them or the secret. I mean, they were all sort of yeah. around the same time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was binging on this stuff and I was reading a lot more about sort of forgiveness too and, and different different religions, theories of forgiveness too. So I sent this message to my dad sort of saying, well, look, he might never talk to me again. Uh, he might do what I suggest he does, or you might not. And I have to be okay with whatever outcome comes out. And that for me was a big revelation because I've spent most of my life being like, <gasps> holding on to things. I'm like, I've got to like, this has to happen this way or like, oh. and it was nice to be like, huh, I can grow up out of that programming. And then this really lovely thing happened when my dad came out and sort of was like, look, I'm really sorry that that's how you experienced it. And I can see that some of that behavior was bullying behavior and I'm sorry I did that. And, We've had a bit of a renaissance in our family mm. where we all apologize to each other. And it was great. I mean, it's lovely. I hope my parents are having a great resurgence of their love. But, it, but, but, but it's scary. Like, to look at that side of you means that you really need to look at your own inner, I don't want to say shortcomings, but, but because they've come from a programming system. I don't think people are born and like, I'm going to have this problem. And then on the flip side, my aunt, who I love very much and, you know, all the good things, like I said earlier, uh, Italy invaded Africa and they grew up in Africa as they were kids. My dad then was born in Australia, but the two older sisters grew up there and they have some really horrific racial opinions. And it doesn't really come up, I think, generally in Australia too much because it's just a different immigrant population. But it came up when I went back there in January of 2018. We were having a party. I was having a big number birthday and I was coming out to my parents as an artist and being like, this is what I am. So let, let's get used to it. Let's stop pretending that I'm not. And it was a really lovely day, right? It's a lovely celebration, family, friends from all walks of life, really cool. And that's what I really love actually about my life, that my connections with humans are all very different and I love it. We have a neighbor who is not white and my aunt and I was walking her out and she said something horrific about the neighbor and I was like you can't say that and she to this day I don't think will ever really come to terms with that and 
I think I'll take a leaf from your book and not fight the fight. But if she's one day welcoming to talk about it in more detail, I hope to. But truthfully, I was upfront with her. I said, we, I, I can't, like, I can't have you in my home, in inverted commas, if that's where you're going to position your thoughts. It's just not okay. And it sucks. Mm-hmm. But I, I can only imagine that for her to look at that, and she should look at that, would also have to mean that she looks at, I don't know, 74 years of her life. And that's a lot of years to look at when you've had a specific belief um, and confront your shitty behavior when you were a kid and the things your parents did and the things the nation did and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, no, and I think you handled that perfectly well. And speaking of ads, like I... Because that's it's like a job and like I'm a professional with what I do there. But like mm. if there was something a couple of weeks ago where there were these guys and oh, there was some work. bad behavior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then there was a thing that happened. And then all of a sudden the way they were... <laughs> the way they decided to engage with me was just over my line. And so like, I was like, huh? And they like, they asked me if there was something else. And I was like, well, I don't have a problem helping you, but like, you have to talk to me like a human, which they did not like. And then it was like a back and forth thing. And then the new Alec. 2020? 2020. 2020. Woohoo. Was, I realize like sometimes like, and this is, I don't have to do this all the time, but especially when it's, it's not my, like I'm not the owner of the business. So Mm -hmm. I do, I don't want to cause problems for him. I think there are lines, like you can't expect anybody. Nobody deserves to be disrespected Hell no. Mm -mm. anywhere, work, life, anywhere. Um, but like, yeah, what I ended up doing because there were like a couple of more interactions we had. And then I was just like, all right. And I went to my coworkers and I was like, here's the situation. I'm not having any more con- Like you guys, mm. it's a team. So I was like, you guys need to Good. have the rest of this conversation because like, there's nothing. This is done. Yeah. As Good. far as me, you know what Good. I mean? Yeah. Um, so that's how we handled that. Yeah. Um, and they didn't walk away too happy. And then they being the, uh, antagonize the group of yeah, yeah three three uh british guys um yep and then there were a couple because of the way this happened this wasn't a loud well they were a little bit loud um this mm. wasn't the loudest encounter but it's a small intimate restaurant mm-hmm. so there were a couple people nearby who saw the whole thing and i could see them kind of like looking and then i apologized to them because i just on just on my thing and their experience sure. and then they were they took my side on the issue, yeah. but yeah, basically like one of the things, yeah, it's, you have to stand up sometimes, but also not be reactionary. Yeah. And I think it's impressive that you also were like, that's enough of me educating. I'm assuming your colleagues were of a different They were, group which of- isn't always the case. No, but it's important to be like, now it's your turn, allies deal with this thing this is not for me to keep fighting yeah especially when i'm assuming you're being antagonized by these people or or i mean i'm not quite sure what was going on but 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 it's good that i think you said this is where my line is drawn someone else deal with the situation yeah but it's hard so it's like you know and that's yeah if somebody (laughs) 
there was something in Laura, like this was like a couple of years ago, but one of her cousins was staying with us mm. and we were having some debates about the black peats and stuff like that before. And she wasn't getting it. And then at a certain point she did a nursery nursery rhyme, like eeny, meeny, miny, mo. And oh, there's no. a version oh, of no. that. Oh no, 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 uh-huh. no, 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 no. And she no. said it and I was just like, wait a second. And then she realized what she said. And then I was like, so what I've been talking about is this, this whole time. I was like, I know you didn't mean anything by that. And I, but like where you grew up, yeah, you weren't confronted with that. Like, you know what I mean? You weren't yeah. confronted with what that Meant. means. Yeah. Now you are. Yeah. Now you heard yourself, but I'm like, but there are other things like that ingrained. Cause this is, this isn't a, you're a bad person. This is no. a society thing. You yeah. know what I mean? And that's how it plays out. And, and it's in all of us like that yeah. sickness. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Uh, so many stories coming to mind. But yeah. Did she get it? I think so. Yeah. But it, and it was, it, that was a hard, <laughs> yeah. it was a hard one because it was, it wasn't really painful for me. I think it was, like painful for her but it was like Mm. that was the moment where something that I like had been trying to explain to Mm. her Mm. that wasn't getting through it had to she had to get it in a more painful way of like self-realization she'll be okay she will (laughs) but it's sort of yeah that's like the thing of allies like whatever the situation is like to yeah, listen, yeah, yeah. like you have to have the converse, like, so we have to have those conversations and listen. Yeah. Well, I'll, may I share a quick, two stories that come mm-hmm. to mind. One is purely about my discomfort with something. And I think generally I'm pretty aware of shutting the fuck up and listening, but sometimes I get it wrong too. And I need to acknowledge that. And the other story is a story that I think is just an interesting story. So the first one is I painted my nails and I painted them bright white Partly because, I don't know if you had this experience as a child, but I'm sure most people of my generation used to paint their nails with whiteout. Did you ever see that in high school? I think so. It was like a, a rite of passage. I don't know, maybe. But like I turned 14, 15 and all us girls were like painting our nails white. Just because the only thing you had to paint with, like there was no other color and parents wouldn't let you buy nail polish or it was expensive, whatever. Like it was just like, ooh, fun. And sometimes you would draw on it with pens. And so you, like now the nails with all the like different mm-hmm. art facts on it it was it's been happening forever I mean, it's, it's fun i'm sure painting your nails with white out is probably not that good for you it's probably more toxic than nail polish but whatever like we were kids most of them are probably toxic though, <laughs> yeah exactly exactly it's fair anyway so the other day literally the other day i was meeting someone at a cafe and i went up to order a coffee and i was in this buzzing happy mood i was like vibing and this this bar attender was like oh you seem really happy i was like yeah i think i am he's like well, why i'm like well life sucks and if you feel that you want to f- sit in the suckiness then you're going to keep sucking but i'm like let's just be present and acknowledge the shitty things and and have happiness throughout the day and he's like cool cool we had this really great chat and then his colleague came up and was like oh i love your nails i really like cool so context the man was i think african-american descent definitely african descent i'm assuming of uh, uh, he had an american accent and the female i'm assuming is caucasian or maybe european eastern european american again she had an american accent so the context of this was the female was like oh i love your nails and i immediately was like yeah do you remember the days when you used to paint with white out she's like yeah i totally do 
And I said to him, did you ever do that? He's like, no, I like, I'm, therefore I'm assuming he doesn't identify as, as painting his nails as a feminine thing, whatever. Like, that's fine, cool. Um, you know, I'm sure dudes paint the nails too. And, and then I said, yeah, do you remember like when you'd paint them with like other markers? She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you'd get the ink and I was like, yeah. And like you'd do like, um, and then I started describing different pictures I would make with the black, blue and red ink that you would have in pens. And immediately when I said black, I had this, I looked at the man and I had to check in with my, I guess, white guilt complex. I was like, fuck, I thought I didn't have that, but I just did. I just said this thing and I feel profoundly stupid. Great, check in, like acknowledge that that's what happened, move on and, and don't do that again. But it was an interesting, I think, awareness mm-hmm. to be like, hmm. Well, that's like, yeah, because I think that's the other thing when people say, they're colorblind. It's like, no, no, you're not. Nobody, nobody. Like, it's no. a, it's a thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah. Like. Definitely. Yeah. So that was my discomfort with that. Mm-hmm. The other story I wanted to share is I used to work at this very fine dining restaurant. Oh, la, 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 very fine dining in Melbourne, Australia. And to the point where I was such a good little server that they wanted to train me to be manager. And I, I at the time was studying law and medical science and was acting in movies and stage. So I was not interested at all in making this a full-time career. And I was mindful that I was working in a company where most people who were working there were doing this as their full-time profession. So I felt a a responsibility to not pursue that and be like, look, really upfront, I'm, no, because it's going to take away from someone else who really wants to do this and, and deserves to do that and make the millions of dollars that they should do that, in, you know, opening up a business, blah, blah, blah. But context, I am Italian, Caucasian. My manager was Pakistani and the dish hands, the man at that night was of Indian descent. And the chefs were a whole mixture of everything else and the rest of the stuff was a mixture of everything else. We had very important and in inverted commas attendees sit down to dine. People like the prime minister and, you know, mm-hmm. people with money. One night, someone who maybe owns the Crown Casino, which is our massive gambling house in Australia, in Melbourne, attended a dinner. And he tapped my butt. Sexual assault 101. Like, that's not okay. We're talking about the sort of respect in the workplace. Again, pre-Mutuve movement, but I was really chuffed. I was really overjoyed that my manager, context Pakistani, stood up for me. He's like, you can't do that to my stuff. I need to ask you to leave. And this person was a very important, important, financial, billionaire, important kind of vibe person. They got up and they left. I was so, 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 so happy at the feminism, at the egalitarianism. I was like, wow. Go Hassan. Yay. Awesome. Thank you. Also felt like shit. Also, I was the youngest staff member. I think I was 18 or 17. Like I had just become of age. So it was shit on multiple levels. Later that night, when we were like closing up, and I don't know if you've been in hospital. Oh, yeah. Lobster, mm-hmm. right? Like it's crazy. You know, you're, you're sort of hosing down the floor and everyone's cleaning. and oh. Hassan turns to the dish hand and says, the washer, and says to him, go back to where you came from in a context of a conversation the two of them were having. And again, my jaw was on the ground. I'm like, wow, three hours ago, you were like the Martin Luther King Jr. of feminist rights. And now you're like the Trump of like, grab the pussy. I, I mean, this was before then, but yeah. Human's worldview. Like, anyway. Was he joking at all or was it? No, no. no okay. It was definitely an interracial, intercultural mm-hmm. dig. Um, and then that's that there's the complication. 
the complicated nature of humans also because yeah. we can be and that's also i think another thing to remember too with trump supporters let's say yeah to not put everybody in one box, box to go back to frame, like yeah. people support trump for different reasons like <laughs> i disagree i have strong feelings about it yeah. but i don't think as a society it's good if we just write everybody off because right. of because again redemption like people can redeem themselves and also just because somebody does you can do a lot like i want to hope i haven't really seen any evidence of it but i want to hope that there are some redeeming qualities in trump i haven't seen any evidence yet i'm waiting but i have to hope yeah. um and that goes also to then Yeah, I just believe in redemption. Yeah. Um, I think some people never, a lot of people don't redeem themselves. But I also think we as a society need to change what's valuable. Yep. You know? I agree. We value money and winning at all costs as a, as a collective. Yeah. Um, and so then this is what we get. Like, that's the problem, the winning, and it goes back to exactly what you said before, like the winners tell the story. The, I mean, the winning, the winning psyche of the human, I think, is the animalistical side of us pissing on a tree like a dog and like, this is my territory. I was watching a really interesting documentary the other night about monogamy. I mean, that, that's a separate conversation, but the point of me bringing this up was that one of the, I guess, considered experts on monogamy, polyamorous people and what we do and what we choose to do and blah, 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 was essentially said at the end of it, we're not designed to be monogamous, but we also weren't designed to build buildings. Humans can adapt. And mm -hmm. so if you're, if you want to be monogamous, enjoy the working at it. It doesn't have to be a fight against your inner animalistic nature. That's not how it works. People who invent a microphone are not working against the animalistic nature to like sit by a tree and meditate. You can do both and then if you want to work at something then you have to enjoy that process of that and I thought that was an interesting perspective because it often the argument I guess to uh, monogamy is that it's not in it's not in it's not natural whatever the hell that means because I don't know what is natural anymore I mean we've co-opted everything in in some really amazing ways too that we can kind of create anything it's all come from nature like it's all all the elements exist naturally we just manipulate them going back to manifesting and from that dog pissing on a tree metaphor to the polyamory, not to say you can't be in a polyamorous relationship now and, and enjoy that. That's not what I'm getting at. I'm just saying that the antidote to monogamy often being like, well, it's not natural is a bogus response. Same with people. It's a bogus response to say, well, people can't change. I'm like, well, we have though. Like we see in history, we've redeemed some shitty things we were doing. So there's no reason to say that if you decide to be more conscious, you decide to balance your soul a little, you decide to be manifesting consciously you decide to take action to what you want to manifest consciously there's no reason why you can't be a redeeming better person i mean my mom and i had a really intense conversation where um i was walking in st kilda st kilda used to be a very hippie open-minded wonderful place it's now become very gentrified and uh, it's uh, that's in itself and it's another story but that sounds my, like seattle oh it used to be there i mean it is still is the red light district but like it used to be much more 
it, it wasn't trying to hide it. It was it was present. I, I was born in the middle of this hippie festival. Like right, I decided to crown right in the middle of it. I ended up getting born in the hospital. But on the way, I was like, party, festival, fire twirlers, people smoking marijuana, woohoo. I think that gives context to my kookiness, just as an aside. But mom and I were having this conversation because I was walking around St. Kilda. I was riding my bike, actually, when I went back there for, to visit them a while back. And again, generally pretty open-minded Zen place. Now, not really much like that. And the poverty is increasing too. And there's a lot of very sad things that are happening from my perspective as a, as, a, as a resident from there. And this couple, Caucasian couple, walked past and the lady had a scarf around her head because it was freezing. It was, it's, we're on a bay as well to context. So it's a lot of sort of sea breeze and it was, it was cold. And the Aussie corner man like, talked like this and he goes, oh yeah, she looks like a terrorist, doesn't she? I was on my bike. I stopped my bike. I was like, you don't say that. And I ended up this, maybe I was a bit more fighting than I needed to be, but I was, I was adrenalized and I was riding my bike. And I was like, what the fuck? And I don't know if I helped change his perspective. I hope I opened up her eyes a little bit. I, I never saw them again and I don't know what the fuck they've done. But I was telling my mom about this because I was all fired up. And I was just upset that like the, the Islamophobia is, is really sick. And my mom's, my mom generally a saint. My mom generally very open-minded. My mom generally very analytical and like self-checking goes, well, how did you know they really meant that? I was like, ah, it doesn't even matter. Um, and she was able to really take that on and shift her perspective and, and, and look back at other situations where she's had that maybe misinformed opinion and check her own bias and her own, I don't know, what's another word for bias? I guess maybe just her own bias. And, and really look at that. And it was yeah, there is room, I think, for, I don't know if there's room for redemption. I mean, I don't know what to say that, but yes, philosophically, I agree with you completely. And and if we don't, then there's not much hope to do much better yeah. in anything. And we have seen that we've changed. I mean, not quickly enough. I mean, I, I, I think I mentioned to you before we started that I went gone to see Slave Play. Amazing acting, amazing for many reasons, confronting for many reasons, uh, contentious for many reasons. I don't think it's everyone's experience. I don't think the play is trying to say that this is every person's experience in this play. No play is ever saying that. But it's a really phenomenal on many levels. And yet some ways this play, I think, is it, it should have happened sooner. But we weren't ready to see it. Like it wasn't going to happen sooner for a whole myriad of reasons. Just because it hasn't happened sooner doesn't mean we can't. Doesn't mean it's too late. Yeah, yeah that's I like mean, the. We're going to keep evolving and multiplying, and we should be having these discussions so that we can find a narrative that that improves that, so that people can be working at a high fine dining restaurant, have the customer be kicked out if they're going to sexual assault, and also not have the manager shit on on the person's ethnicity. It's funny too, like. I think about the, when I was applying for all my visas and I've got, I'm very lucky about all my visas. I'm lucky to be here. I like it a lot for many other reasons. One, <laughs> I got a lot of help from a lot of people signing the visa document. The only person who made me feel uncomfortable, who ended up being very happy that I was staying and supported me completely, would make sarcastic jokes, I guess analogous to that description of that manager of like, why don't I go back to where I came from? The day that he went to sign my visa application and it was tongue-in-cheek, and he meant no harm by it. And I'm very privileged. But it was a really weird thing to choose to do when someone's banking on you signing this. Like, he literally said this thing as he was signing. Sorry, just before he started to sign. So it gave me a panic attack of like, are you not going to? Yeah. 
And that's in my privileged little bubble. That attack, that thing that is meant as a tongue-in-cheek, like, it, 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 it's, it's, it's power play. So if I can't know anyone, as, anyone else's experience, but I can only assume if that's what I felt in that silly little example, any extreme version of that is, 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 is um, I don't know, I, must be really shit, mm-hmm. must really suck. Yeah. But you get desensitized, too. That's the other thing that happens. That also sucks. I mean, good, uh, yeah, I definitely, guess, definitely. You don't get upset by it, but that, yeah. yeah. Um, so yes. Clara, <laughs> this may be the longest podcast <laughs> we've done <laughs> yet here on the Bushwick Variety Show, but it's been good. Um, is there anything else that you want to talk about today? I don't think so. Just thanks for having me on. Thanks for our friendship and. Thanks for the space to yeah navigate and chat about stuff that I might be completely wrong about. And we can do it again sometime too. Oh, um, cool. That's the thing I've decided. I'm going to start having some people back because why not? Cool. Um, and uh, your speech coaching. Yeah. Where do people find that? Same website. Okay. Forward slash speech coach. Cool. Yeah. And do you have any final um, parting thoughts? Happy Chinese New Year weekend, although I guess this will be airing in the future. And, and, and let's start to call it Invasion Day. And if we can get the global community looking at it that way, maybe, maybe we can change things like Columbus Day and Australia Day to be something that's different. So when is Australian Invasion Day? January 26th. Okay. Yeah. And that is, that's today. Yeah. Ooh, That's the day ooh. that we're recording this. That's the day we're yeah. recording. Yeah, yeah. I did have one other thing. This is completely... Yeah. Blah, I, so when I went to post about Invasion Day today, Australia Day, First Nation People's Day, uh, acknowledging that it's their space, I tried to find the Aboriginal flag on Instagram, and it's not there. If anyone's listening and it's connections to Instagram, can we, like, make that happen? That's weird to me. I don't know. Maybe I've gone cross-eyed, but I, I was looking through the entire thing, and I was like, "How is there not?" Because they have, there is a flag. Yeah. I mean, Instagram has all the other flags, emojis. I guess it's emojis. I guess it's not Instagram's problem. Who who makes the emojis? emojis. People. <laughs> People do it. Okay. Um, it's some ominous AI creature out there. Um. Yeah, I, I like it. That's a good idea. But I'm also like, let's also maybe at some point move past flags and borders fair and- yes totally a fair 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 but like if it exists we could yeah just put it, yeah no that's fair you know that's fair Global. that's a conversation for another time well just because i think flags like i if it's a celebration of culture that's mm. how they're presented but i feel like it's a celebration of borders yeah in a way yep you know yeah and so yeah yeah, the the border problem is a is a, is a conversation of the day, but I, I I align with what you've said about it up to now. I think it's uh, we can probably blame Shakespeare. The concept of a passport, I believe, is proposed in one of his earlier plays. And I mean, we can also blame a lot of other people, but but it is a concept that's quite strange for the twentieth century. But I think Ro- like Rome had. Yeah, stuff sure. like that, like the idea of like, are you a member of the Roman Empire? You know, like yeah, yeah, that's fair. it. Goes back, I think. Yeah. Um. Yeah. What was it that you said before? A human 
citizen. Uh, yeah, pro- citizen yeah. of humanity. I'm aligned with that perspective. I think that's really important. Cool. Well, I'm glad oh. to have gotten to know you. I look forward to seeing what you do. I hope our our paths cross um, many times yes. in the future. Now I'm going to go buy some wonderful products from your wonderful wife upstairs. At the Rack Shack. It's so cool. <laughs> Thank you very much. So that was my conversation with Clara Francesca. I hope you enjoyed that very much. Check out the links in the show notes to her website, Instagram. If you want to follow her and see what she's up to, she has some upcoming plays. And hopefully we will manifest manifesting Mrs. Marks and make that happen in New York City. Because I'd love to see it. And I bet a lot of you would too. Also, speaking of the Rack Shack, the Rack Shack is a all-inclusive, welcoming, everybody, trans-friendly lingerie boutique located here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is owned and operated by my lovely wife, Laura Stevens. And on February 15th, we are celebrating four years of the store. And all of the episodes are recorded in the basement of the Rack Shack. Um, So if you want to come support the Rack Shack, hang out with me. Hopefully some of my artist friends will be there. Come check that out on the evening of February 15th, Saturday night. I might sing a couple songs with the band as well. Um, So, yeah, if that sounds fun to you, I'd love to see you there. If you are in the New York area, check it out. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back on Thursday with some new conversations And I look forward to hearing and seeing what you do. Have a good one. Peace.